0: To get to. We tried to get there last week and didn't quite make it, did we? Uh, <laughs> things went in a different direction, and that was a glorious time, a powerful time. And uh, we, we just love those kinds of times and look forward to more of them. But we also love the times when we can study together, learn a little more, get it a little closer to the uh, goal that we have set uh, for ourselves to be, to be uh, walking in the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ in the earth. And to be what he has called us to be. And so tonight we are going to get back into this series of messages that we're just simply calling effective prayer. Effective prayer. A lot of people pray. A lot of people pray. Especially when they get in trouble. Or someone they love is in trouble. Uh, People pray. But sadly, so many people don't really get much results. And you would agree, I think with me that God is too smart and God is too kind, too gracious and too loving to have created a prayer system that would not work. God is too much of a loving father to command us to pray and scripturally require us to pray and he He loves us too much to require us to pray and then devise a prayer system that didn't work. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, if the, the calendar is so precise as it is, if so many things in earth function with perfect balance like they do to keep life going and all of the things that happen even in nature that God created with the words of his mouth, if God would be that precise with those things, how in the world could we think that he would... Invite us to come boldly into the throne of grace, to commune with him and talk with him, and yet it be for nothing and be ineffective. I just can't accept that it's that way. I believe that it works. And so what that means to me is, and this is a little tough, but uh, trust me, you can can get through it. It'll help you when you do. I've learned that when there's a prayer failure, it's not on God's part. It's got to be mine. Something I've missed, something I've not done, or something I should have done. And I don't mean that to put condemnation on us. I just mean that when something's not working, you want to figure it out, don't you? You know, if, if, if something's not right on your car, and it's not doing like it's supposed to do, and you've got a, you've got a feature on it that, that, that uh, is supposed to work, and it quits working, what do you do? You want to figure it out. You want to find out what's wrong and get it fixed. Well, so that's really what this kind of teaching is about. We've been on it now a number of weeks, and you've probably figured out by now that there's a lot to it. And, of course, you can't talk about it and get it all done in one session. And so we take our time, we walk through these things, and um, we want to figure out if it's not working, why it's not working. We want to find out what does work and in, and increase in those areas, strengthen those areas, and learn more. So what we have done in, in this current uh, uh, season that we're in and teaching on prayer is we've gotten to the book of Ephesians and we have camped out here because there are two major prayers that are recorded. We have the scriptures that tell us two prayers that Paul prayed for believers in, in Ephesus. And so one of the things we need to understand is that these were not just seasonal. They weren't just for that day and for those people only. We don't read them just as a matter of history. It is true history, of course, but we read them because it's a pattern. We read them because there are prayers that work for us. We learn about them because we know that these prayers will work for us. And since Paul was technically praying these prayers for other people, he was praying for the Ephesians then that means these are two prayers that will work for other people. They'll work for other people. And we have talked about them in some detail beginning with the one in chapter 1. And we talked about it a good bit. How that Paul prayed for the Ephesians to have the what he called the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. That means that their understanding, he said, would be enlightened. In other words, they would see things that they would not know naturally. There are revelation insights that God gives by the Holy Ghost that you would never get without the Holy Spirit working in your life. And that kind of spirit of wisdom and revelation is what Paul prayed that the Ephesians would have for three things. Number one, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would know. Number one, the hope of his calling on their life. In other words, what they potentially can do and be through the power of God. Number two, he prayed that they would see what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That has to do with what they can have. Number one, what they can be. Number two, what they can have. And then number three, the exceeding greatness of his power to us who do believe the same power he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him above every principality and power, and so forth. That has to do with what we can do. That has to do with what can be done through the power of God, and so those three things are things I pray for myself every single day. I hope you do too. I actually pray it for you every day. These are this is a major prayer to pray for people that are not quite doing what you know they should do. You know they're not really living at a level where they need to live. They're not living right, maybe at all, or they may be a Christian and and you know they're just not. they're just not living at the level of blessing that they should live at. This is a great prayer to pray for people. Because until people see certain things, they're not going to do certain things. You know that? Until they see something, they're probably not going to act on it. They have to know it for themselves. Well, that's what this prayer is all about. So you can pray for your loved ones. You can pray for your friends. People that maybe right now you may have a dear friend or a loved one that you know, you know they need to be filled with Holy Ghost. They need to be spirit-filled, and they need to understand the inheritance better. They need to understand what is available to them, what Jesus bought and paid for, and all these kinds of things. This prayer covers that. You don't have to go and try to browbeat them about it. You don't have to tell them you're praying this prayer for them. As a matter of fact, in most cases, it's probably better that you don't. But you just pray it and believe God for them to begin to see these things. And so then the second prayer that's in the book of Ephesians, is this one in chapter 3. And this is another prayer that's recorded that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. So this is one that you can pray for people that you know and love. And this is another prayer that you can also pray for yourself. You just tailor the wording until it it fits properly for the case at hand. So we're going to read the prayer. Let's look in Ephesians chapter 3 and begin with verse number 14. He says, for this cause, and if you want to find out the cause he's talking about, read the first 14 verses. We just don't have time tonight to do that, but that's the context. But trust me that when we talk about the prayer specifically, we're not taking away from the contextual meaning of this thing at all. But he says, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him <coughs> excuse me, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Lord, give us utterance in the Holy Ghost tonight. Help us to hear what <laughs> help us, Lord, to hear what we need to hear from this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Now, a few things I want to get to right quickly is that there are three elements in this prayer um, that Paul is praying about. So these are three elements for a supernatural life. We all want that. These are three elements for a covenant life. We all want that. These are three elements for a blessed life, and we all want that. And you see these three things in this prayer. Number one, faith. Number two, love. And number three, power. Faith, love, and power. Now we hear for faith to come. We choose To walk in love and have the benefits of love. And number three, we pray for power. Faith comes by hearing the word. Power comes by praying. And love comes by choosing to act on the love of God that's been shed abroad in our heart. Now these things will not manifest. This supernatural life we're talking about, this covenant life, this blessed life. It's not going to happen unless you pursue these things. So we never will get away from faith teaching. We'll never get away from teaching about love and how to walk in love. (laughs) Excuse me. And we'll never get away from the need for the power of God. Give me a bottle of water there, please. Darling. Hallelujah. All right. Praise the Lord. I remember when I was a kid people sometimes would start coughing that way and they would say, I need a cigarette. (laughs) I don't think I need a cigarette, but I will take a drink of water. Excuse me. So the question tonight is, what are you pursuing? And what are you spending your time doing? And what are you expecting? If faith, love, and power are important to you, then you're on your way to blessing. So let's examine this prayer a little bit. Look in verse number 14 again with me. Let's take just kind of verse by verse as we move down. And um, we see that Paul says, first of all, that he bows his knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important to to think about this for just a minute. It's not often in the New Testament that the posture of prayer is uh, mentioned so much. But here it is. I'm sure Paul prayed while he walked. I'm sure he prayed while he was sitting down. I'm sure he prayed when he was laying down. But here he mentions that he bows his knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is something about the posture of prayer. You don't always have to kneel to to pray and pray effectively. But bowing is a sign of being subservient. It's an humbleness thing, an humble thing. Bowing is an, an issue of worship. You can worship without bowing, but certainly bowing before God is an act of worship. And then also, bowing is submitting. It's submission to God. And so what Paul was really saying to us in one one way of looking at this is that in his prayer here, he was looking to God alone as the only source for these things that he's going to ask God for. God alone is the source of the things he's going to pray about. And he calls him the father of our Lord Jesus Christ and doesn't stop there. Verse 15, he goes on to say, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And so he emphasizes the fatherhood of God. That's really important in prayer because you have to understand Jesus taught us that if we ask for anything uh, of a father, if you're a father, he said, and your son asks you for bread, would you give him a stone? And he's pointing out the, the reality that a good father, even an earthly father, even an unsaved man that would be a good father, would be a blessing to his children. And he's saying that how much more God will be a blessing to his children. And so the idea here is, of course, that, uh, that God is our Father. And that, that makes prayer take on a whole different meaning, really, a whole different uh, outlook, if you will, because you begin to realize that, that it's like a father providing for his family. That's how God sees you as a part of his family, as one of his kids. And he's not going to fail you. He's not going to let you down. And so uh, we look to him alone. He is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So that means that Jesus' father is my father. Isn't that good to know? The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is your Father, and he is as much your Father as he is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is your elder brother, and we share the same Father, and we share the abundant and infinite inheritance that comes from being a child of God. So we do not have to do without. We do not have to lack anything that God has as part of our inheritance. And, of course, Sunday morning we talked about that a little bit, how that we are redeemed from the curse that the blessing of Abraham might come on us. God is a loving and good father. Also notice here that part of the family is in heaven and part of the family is here on the earth. We're in the earthly part. But there's a whole part of this family that's already in heaven. And when you think about that, that makes heaven even that much more attractive. Even that much more appealing. Because the truth is, uh, the longer you live on the earth, you'll find this out. As you get older, the longer you live on the earth, the more and more people that you have known and loved are there. And so... Uh, you know, the ideal situation is that we live our full length of time out here on the earth. We live until we're satisfied with long life. We live to like the Apostle Paul, we finish our course. And then when we're ready to go, there's more people over there waiting to see us than there are here to leave behind. And so it just makes good sense to go on. And that's not defeat, that's victory. Can you say amen? Praise the Lord. So part of the family is in heaven, part of the family is here on earth, and God sees us all as one family. Amen. Now in verse 16, we get to the first request that Paul's going to make, and he only makes three in the prayer only three requests he makes in praying for the for the ephesian believers and these are three requests that god will honor and answer for you number one in verse number sixteen he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man this first request is that we would be empowered that we would be increased in vigor we're looking at some definitions here To be empowered, to be increased in vigor, to be strengthened with might, and that word might is the Greek word dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S. This is the same word that Jesus used in Acts 1-8 when he said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. This is the power that fell on the day of Pentecost when they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This request Paul is asking that these people would be empowered, they would be strengthened with this kind of Holy Ghost dynamite explosive power. The word dunamis, by the way, you can easily see. That's where the English word dynamite comes from. So this is explosive power. This is self-energizing power. This is power that never runs out. And he says, I want you to be strengthened with this kind of power in the inner man. The inner man. Now that's important because he's not talking about just an emotional feeling. He's not just talking about a soulish aspect here. He's talking about your very core being, the spirit of man. We are a spirit. We possess a soul. We live in a body. He's saying, I want you to be strengthened in the inner man. I want you to have strength on the inside. Strength on the inside. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, I'm going to turn over there and read this verse for you. Proverbs, chapter 18, and verse number uh, 14. Let me see here. I've got to find it. Proverbs 18 and 14. It says, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. Now, in the Amplified Bible, it says the strong spirit of a man. I think that, yeah, here it is. The strong spirit of a man will sustain him in bodily pain or trouble, but a weak and broken spirit who can raise up or bear. Now listen to that again, the strong spirit of a man. Now remember, this, Paul is praying for the Ephesian church that you would be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. The strong spirit of a man will sustain him in bodily pain or trouble, but a weak and broken spirit who can raise up or bear. This is a powerful prayer to pray for the sick, especially people that are in pain. Notice that's the, the term used in the Amplified Classic here, bodily pain or trouble. And I have been led by the Lord a number of times to pray this prayer for people when I knew that they were fighting a physical battle. I knew that they, that they didn't feel good or that there was pain in their body. There was a problem physically. I, I don't know how many times I've prayed this for people because I knew that, that if their spirit was strong enough, they could overcome no matter what the doctor said no matter what the diagnosis is or the prognosis is no matter whether they say they can fix it or not fix it it's incurable or uh, terminal All of that terminology is not what we're looking at in this passage here. We're looking at a supernatural power that can overcome any sickness or any disease or anything the devil would try to launch against your physical body. And so I tell you, it's so important that we stay strong spiritually. Not only to fend off something that would come, that's important, but if we find ourselves fighting a battle, jump on that thing with the strength of God out of your spirit. And don't wait two weeks. And don't sit there for three days trying to Google and figure out what this is. Quit trying to diagnose yourself. Quit trying to figure it all out. Quit asking people who don't know what they think it is. And don't let the devils get on your shoulder and tell you all these stories about somebody that you know. And they had similar situation and they died. They had, they had the same symptoms and they only lived three months. I mean, you know, how many of you know the devil will, will play that game with you? And sadly, there are people who may mean well, but they'll talk that talk with you. Well, I don't know. If I were you, I think I'd go get that checked out. You know, I knew Aunt So-and-so, and, and she had all of that, and she died, and oh, it was terrible, and you know, then they couldn't pay the funeral bill, and, and then so-and-so, you know, and then her old man, he got married just three months after she died. It was just been a whole mess. I mean, they'll tell you the whole nine yards, all the details. I'm being a little facetious, you understand, but, but you know what I mean. That's just, it's just human nature. But I tell you, if you're strong in your spirit, if you are full of the Holy Ghost and stay full, and if you are strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, you will jump against those things quickly and you'll say, no devil. You are not doing that to me. I refuse to have this. I know I'm healed, the Word says, and then quote the Word. Or if you don't know it by heart, open your Bible and read it. Put it on a card. Have them ready and have your ammunition ready and make the devil wish he never messed with you. The devil ought to leave us fleeing. You know, that's not how most people think. But the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know that word flee, F-L-E-E? That means to run as in stark terror. Think about the scaredest you've ever been when you were a kid. When you ran by that graveyard or you ran out of that barn or you ran out of that basement or whatever it was where you just knew there was some spook there to get you. Some haint trying to run you off or whatever it might be. And you ran and ran. Your heart was just racing and you ran in stark terror. Well, that's the picture, my brother and sister, that the New Testament paints of what the devil does when he is properly resisted. I think you ought to have a better response than that. So at least a few more amens. Maybe you don't believe that. I don't know. But if you'll study it, you'll see it's true. That's such a far, far different picture than what most people think about dealing with demons and evil spirits and the power of hell. They, they, they think you know almost it's like the devil starts with, a, with this big upper hand and, and it's, it's this battle, you know, God's trying and, and then the devil's ahead. You know, they think about like it's like a, some kind of a, a, a car race or a horse race or something and, you know, and that finally in the end God by nose God wins. That's not how this is at all. The devil was defeated 2,000 years ago at the cross. It's already over. It's already done. The devil knows he's defeated. The thing he wants to do is make sure you don't know that. But when you know, when you know, That's when victory begins to manifest in your life. That's when you realize, I don't have to put up with this garbage. I do not have to have this pain. I do not have to have this sickness. I do not have to live in poverty. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to be bound by the devil and all kinds of mess that he tries to bring. But the greater one in me is greater than he that's in the world. So I'm going to walk in the light of the word of God. And I'm going to live in a place of victory all the days of my life. Hallelujah. That's what a strong spirit does. It comes forth with those things. And believe me, when you're in trouble, when trouble comes, and trouble does come. Proper biblical faith teaching is not that there will never be any trouble. That's not true. Proper faith teaching from the Bible is that when trouble does come, you know how to resist it. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to be detoured in your, your life for the next 20 years based on something the devil's trying to do. But you can resist him, and he will flee. But you've got to stay strong in your spirit. So this is an important uh, uh, passage that we would look at and that we would understand, this Ephesians chapter 3 passage, because we want to be strong in the inner man. Praise the Lord. Now, I want to move on tonight uh, to, the, to the next request, verse 17, because I'm running out of time, uh, that, that Paul made here in this prayer. Uh, first of all, that we would be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Secondly, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, he is not praying uh, for faith. He's praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. And there is a difference. Faith doesn't come by praying. Faith does not come by praying for it. Somebody else is not going to get faith because you pray for them to have faith. And you're not going to get faith because you pray you have faith. Romans 10, 17 makes it extremely clear, simply clear, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The only way it comes By hearing. And so Paul was not contradicting what he wrote in Romans 10, 17. Paul was praying that Christ would dwell, the anointed one and his anointing would dwell in their hearts by faith. In other words, that their faith would, uh, let me say it this way, that Jesus would hold the right place in their heart through faith. In other words, that their faith would do what it was supposed to do. That they would use it in the proper way. That's a better way for me to say that. That they would use their faith properly. And when you believe the word, enough to act on the word, and the first action of faith is confession. Because if your faith won't move your mouth, it won't move a mountain. So when you begin to act on the Word of God, then that's when Christ begins to dwell in your heart by faith. He becomes the overcomer within you that is greater than anything that's out here in the world. And so that's why we started out tonight by saying these things are important. Power, faith, and then the last request, love. Notice he says here that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, by faith rather, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height of what? And to know the love of Christ. This length, breadth, depth, and height is about love. The love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So you will never be filled with all the fullness of God until you are walking in love. And it's not always easy to walk in love. That's why love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. You have to choose to do what love does. And sometimes you're just not going to feel like doing it. You say, what does love do? Love simply does what's best for another person, even at my own expense. No matter what it costs me, I'm going to walk in love. Now, that doesn't mean I'm a doormat for the devil to destroy my life. That doesn't mean that I give myself to just be used by every freeloader and every uh, demonically uh, oriented person in the world. But what that means is that I'm going to do what's best for people even if I'm inconvenienced, even if it costs me something. I'm going to walk in love. It also, and this is one of the big things, it also means that I will never hold a grudge. You say, "Well, what about when somebody has to be dealt with in a rather harsh way? A very, you know, what? What about, you know, when I have to do something that, you know, somebody else is not going to like?" Well, love's not about somebody always feeling good. Love's about doing what's best. Now, I'm not, I'm not wanting to get into a debate about uh, uh, this subject, but it comes to my mind, and it's 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 an easy illustration. But I would guess that most of you, when your children were real small, you probably got certain kinds of <clears throat> shots that, you, that they were given. You know, measles, mumps, whatever. You, you probably went through that rigmarole. And um, has anybody ever known of a baby that got a shot and didn't cry? I mean, there may be some that have, but most of them are going to cry like, you know, the end of the world has come. Why did you do that? Because that was what was best. You felt that was what was best for that child. And so the momentary pain was something you were willing to have to deal with in order for the long-term results to come. There are lots of things like that in life, by the way. Saving money is a lot that way. You, you, You momentarily set aside something you'd like to just go do, some crazy thing, because you want in the future to be able to do more important things or things that might be a greater need. So life's that way. Lots of trade-offs, lots of choices. But when it comes to love, we're simply doing what's best. So sometimes doing what's best for somebody might make them angry. Sometimes doing what's best for somebody might make their, their feelings might get hurt. You know, we we raised two children and we spanked them. And I believe in spanking. I don't believe in child abuse. I don't believe in beating children and abusing children, but I believe in biblical spanking. Thank you for that one amen. Uh, (laughs) Praise the Lord. But I believe that, um, you know, the, the rod of correction applied to the seed of the understanding is beneficial. The Bible says, spare the rod and spoil the child. We look around this today in our culture and we see that's not the only reason but one big reason that things are in the mess they are is because there are just a ton of people in this world that have never learned what no really means. And they can't handle it. But they weren't disciplined. They were um, uh, indulged. They weren't disciplined. And... Uh, and, and uh, the Bible teaches us a child left to itself. Well, you know, that, that's a problem. Anyway, I don't want to get off too, too much into that one. But I just want to say love means you'll do what's best. Love means you would discipline your children. Love means that you'll make right decisions in all these different areas of life. Whether people like your decision or whether they don't like your decision, it's not about the feelings here. It's about doing what's right. Love is not a feeling. Love is a spiritual force. Now, true love will produce feelings, good feelings. But the basic force of love is is a spiritual force. And we just have to choose to do what love does. And love, by the way, does forgive. It doesn't mean you go back and stick your head in the meat grinder the second time or the third time or the 20th time. But at some point, you just let that go. Even if you have to go on in a different phase of life, but you don't hold the grudge. You don't allow somebody's, what they did in the past, to keep living with you in your present or into your future. Can you say amen? Amen. So, the third request is what Paul said about knowing the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. We need to learn to comprehend these great love truths one reason is because Galatians 5 and 6 says that faith works by love. So your faith's not going to work if you're not walking in love. When Jesus taught us about prayer in Mark eleven twenty four, What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. We love that promise. The very next verse, verse 25, he says, And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So it's very, very important that we learn to forgive or our faith will not work. It's very important that we walk in love or uh, we're not going to have the blessings that God has promised. And I always like to go to this chapter. I would say I don't know how many times in any given year over these many years of preaching that I have read this passage again and again and again. And I never get tired of it. It never gets old to me. And I know that I need it. And so I want to read to you what love does. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through the first portion of the 8th verse. And I read from the Amplified Bible because it just makes it so simple and so plain. And it gives it to us in a language that's so easy to understand. And so here's what love does. And remember, it's not based on how you feel. It's not really based on if you want to all the time. Because sometimes you're not going to want to do what love does. Sometimes you're going to want to give people a piece of your mind, and that's not a good piece. Sometimes you're going to want to do something out of spite. Sometimes you're going to serve. you going to want to serve as the judge and the jury and the executioner. You know, you're going to, you're going to, want to do things. Your flesh is going to, want to do things that it shouldn't do. And so we have to choose to do what love does. So when I make that statement over and over again, love is, is a choice and, and love is action and that you know to walk in love, you just do what love does. When I make that statement, here's what we're talking about. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It makes no account, I'm sorry, it takes no account of the evil done to it. Pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are faithless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. Isn't that good? Now, again, I'm not saying that you have to be a victim to everything the devil wants to do because if that's what you choose to do, he will make sure you're always that victim and he'll make sure that he makes your life hell on earth. You don't have to be the doormat for everything and everybody. You don't have to suffer abuse repeatedly, over and over again. But you always know in your heart that you are doing what God wants done. You are, to the best of your ability, walking in love toward that other person. They may not walk in love. They may not choose to do what's right. And sadly, sometimes people never choose to do what's right. Some people you have to love from a distance. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we say that and people, you know, we, we, sometimes we'll laugh a little or chuckle a little bit about it. But it really isn't a joke. Sometimes, sometimes you can't walk in love and be very close to certain people. Sometimes you have to love them from a distance. But you do whatever you have to do to keep your heart right with God and to walk in the love of God. Stay rooted and grounded in love. Really, that's Paul's third request in this Ephesians prayer, that you be rooted and grounded in love that's really what it's all about and then of course the power of god that's above and beyond everything and anything we could ask or think will begin to manifest for us and god will bless our lives in ways that we didn't even imagine was possible you know it's it's just amazing what god will do if you choose to walk in love so if I, if I live this love life, I'm not going to insist on my own rights or my own way. I don't always have to win every argument. I don't always have to prove that I'm right and they're wrong. I don't have to remind them of what they did or didn't do that was not right. None of that. I just walk in love. I just keep my eyes on Jesus. And so when I do this, I position myself for this wonderful thing that he says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory. In the church by Christ Jesus. Throughout all ages. World without end. Amen. I have proven this in my life. And it's very, very uh, important. That we keep our heart in the right place. So this kind of power can work. And it will. It will. I don't know what you need. I don't know what you're believing for. I don't know what is... Bigger than you can even ask or think. That God has in mind for you. I don't know all of those details. But I can tell you that this prayer in Ephesians 3. Is a key to that. Praying this prayer over yourself. Praying it for other people. Believing God for these things. And then choosing to walk in love. Learning the length and breadth and depth and height. Notice that terminology. It's a big subject. We never come to the end of it. So. This is a great, great quest to walk in love. Father, I'm grateful, I'm thankful tonight for all that you have done for us. Lord, my words tonight here have been uh, weak, not enough to really get this truth over like it should be gotten over. This is such a powerful subject. It's hard to describe it in the proper way. But, Lord, I believe that what's lacking in my presentation will be made up for in the revelation from the Holy Ghost into every one of us, that we can see where we are and what we need to be doing. Lord, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that the realities of the love walk will be made so clear to them and the conviction for these truths will be made so clear to all of us that we will just begin to, to take another step in the love walk, to grow in this. And I praise you for it, and I give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray right now. And may I ask all of you listening to me tonight, there may be somebody, you just need to slip their name in there, or maybe more than one person. Names and begin to pray for them, that they would be strengthened with might by God's Spirit in the inner man, that the Lord Jesus Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith, not just a mental concept, not just an emotional feeling, but that they would truly spiritually know Jesus Christ by faith, and that they would begin to see and understand the exceeding greatness of your power to us who believe that this love is first to us and toward us and then it goes out from us Lord help us not to misunderstand what Paul is saying here he's not requiring us to walk in love and do what love does without having the ability to do it but that love has already been shed abroad in our hearts that love has come to us in the person of Jesus. And by the strengthening He's already mentioned in the inner man, we're able to make the decisions to take the love we have and manifest it and demonstrate it to those who need it most. I pray for every one of us that in this season, when we celebrate the coming of Jesus as a babe in Bethlehem, that we would understand and realize that the living Christ is wants to show his love in us, to us, and through us every single day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Lord, I pray for those who are sick, those with any kind of physical infirmity or need. I bring them before you, and I do pray they would be strengthened with might by your Spirit, the inner man that they would be able to lay hold by faith on the promise of your glorious healing power, that they would receive what you have provided for them and appropriated for them, that they would take it by faith. And I speak life, healing, deliverance to the bodies of those listening to me now in Jesus' name. Our bodies are the property of God. They are the temples of the living God. We have been bought with a price. And you told us, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, Father, we thank you that people are being healed right now. Your power is manifesting right now. It's at work in us right now in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, I, 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 I sense that I need to pray right now. There might be those who are especially in a, in a, in a place of a strain right now, this season. Sometimes we spend more and want to do more than maybe we prudently should. But, Lord, even if we've made mistakes, forgive us. And, Lord, I just pray you'd supply every need. Just cause this to be a time of great blessing and abundance, more than enough, for every person. And any real, true need, we believe that need is met. And godly desires, they are met according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord. You're such a wonderful God, such a generous Father. We just, we just lean into that, Lord. We rely upon it. We know that you want us to come boldly, so we come boldly. We declare every need met, every bill paid, in full, on time, in the name of Jesus. It shall be no other way, but it'll be God's way, because we are your children, and we're believers. And we declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, praise.